Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking Innovation. This episode is a first for us as we welcome our first Chief Wagon Officer, Robert Passon, to the podcast. Robert heads Radio Flyer, Inc., the business founded by his grandfather in 1917. He's joining us today to share insight into how a brand, whose iconic red wagon is a symbol of childhood itself, stays innovative in a world where there's more competition than ever. Despite its iconic status, Radio Flyer has maintained a spirit of reinvention in its products and its marketing, even winning an Emmy for its short film, Taking Flight. Thank you for joining us today, Robert. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So I'm curious, uh, for those people who are not familiar with you, and um, I, I, don't, I can't imagine anyone who's not familiar with Radio Flyer, uh, but for the listeners who want to get a little bit more familiar with you and the company, would you mind just giving a quick overview? Sure. Uh, my grandpa started Radio Flyer in 1917, and he was an Italian immigrant who came to Chicago in 1914. And he was from a small town in northern Italy, um, and his family was a family of, of carpenters. His dad and grandpa were carpenters, and um, so they knew the skill of making things out of wood, and they taught that to my grandpa when he was very young. But they were very poor. They were a working-class family. Um, and so when my grandpa was about 16 years old, he'd be able to find a better life in America. And he came to Chicago. And uh, like so many other immigrants, he did any job he could find. Mostly it was kind of day labor, manual labor, working on railroad crews, uh, washing uh, vegetables, you know, those kind of jobs until he was able to save up enough money to rent a garage on the west side of Chicago. And in that garage, he started making things out of wood, putting his skill to work. And um, he made furniture, he made phonograph cabinets, and eventually he made a wooden wagon that he used to haul tools around. Uh, but people started buying these wagons, um, even though he had constructed it uh, at first as a tool. And, uh, and like any entrepreneur, he was looking for whatever he could sell, and um, he started selling more and more of these wagons. So he pivoted and focused exclusively on making wagons, and he called the first wagons the Liberty Coaster because the first thing he saw when he came to America was the Statue of Liberty. Um, and wow. he, yeah, and and I always think it's a it's cool that Radio Flyer started in a garage, like so many other <laughs> Silicon Valley startups and other startups. But um, but then uh, in the in the 1920s, he was introduced to the metal stamping uh, technology when visiting a supplier that the auto industry was using, and he saw that he could apply this new technology to his product to mass produce it. So he started making his wagons out of steel, and this is one that iconic little red wagon that we all think of when you hear the words radio flyer, that's where it came from. Um, and he, he, because he was able to mass produce these wagons, it earned him the nickname Little Ford because he did for wagons uh, what Ford did for cars. Um, and then the business uh, grew from there. That's a fascinating story. And one of the things that's interesting is radio flyer is such a, iconic brand. I was uh, at an apple orchard a few weeks ago, and it was beautiful. And there were so many of the, these wagons around there just kind of 
um, doing everything from kind of serving as a um, for, for ornamental purposes to hold, you know, bales of hay to to actually function in utility for, for moving things. But I, I found out some interesting things about barns and why they're the color red. And I found out that the, the New England settlers did not have enough money to, to paint um, their farms. So essentially they, they combined, they needed a, a cheap way to, to kind of stain their barn. So they combined skim milk and red iron oxide, and that's the color that it ended up producing. So that's why a lot of these barns are red. I'm, I'm curious why the color red and if there's any unique story behind that. Yeah, I get that question a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I've often said I could say it's because my grandpa was Italian, so he loved, you know, Ferrari and red wine and spaghetti sauce and, you know, fire trucks are red, um, but I don't have quite as good a story as the one you just told about the barns, <laughs> which I had never known. That's a great story. Really, it was just because the red color is the one that sold the best. And he, <laughs> over time, um, he continued to focus on what sold better, but he made them in all different colors um, early on. But red was always the best seller. So chief wagon officer, that's such a unique title. Obviously, it makes sense when people understand the context of the company. But for the listeners who are curious about what that actually means, what does a daily uh, day in a life for you look like as a chief wagon officer? Yeah, at least one hour of wagon riding a day is required. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, no, it's really, it's CEO is the job. And so I, you know, a long time ago, I thought, you know, CEO is just, it's a very serious sounding title. We're all about fun and playfulness and childhood. So I just started calling myself the chief wagon officer and, and I always get a great reaction from it. But, you know, it's, it's I lead it. I really, the main thing I do is I lead a team of flyers. That's what we call people who work at Radio Flyer. And uh, it's an incredibly creative and committed group of people who um, design and develop awesome products that inspire active play. That's kind of how we think about what we do. And uh, obviously, this is a family business. And I, as, as we're, we're talking here, I can see some great pictures of what I can only assume is, a, is your family in the background there. Um, if you think about the, the career path that you took, is this something you always wanted to do or was it just kind of something that you were expected to do because you were in the family? Yeah, I mean, I at the I, I remember the first time I came to Radio Flyer, I was five years old and I came to work with my dad for the first time. And I remember that day like it was yesterday because I'd never gone to work with my dad before and everything seemed so huge from even just holding my dad's big hand, walking in the big doors of, of the building walking around the factory, you know, hearing these loud sounds of punch presses, stamping out these steel wagons and the smell of paint and seeing the conveyor line with all these shiny red wagons going by. Um, and it seemed like some sort of magical Rube Goldberg machine, you know, cranking out all of these shiny new red wagons, sending them out into the world. And I just fell in love with it at that moment. I fell in love with this kind of very childlike view of what the company was, you know, almost like this Willy Wonka-esque thing. Um, and then growing up, I worked in the in the factory and in the warehouse, you know, during summers in high school and college. And I really saw that, you know, the and I got to know the brand, too, from a consumer's point of view, more of an objective point of view, listening to what people said about Radio Flyer. And I fell in love with the fact that when you say radio fire to people, the first thing they do is smile. And the second thing they do is tell a story. And there are always these wonderful stories about childhood. 
And so I just felt so lucky. Like I just lucked into being born into this family that started Radio Flyer. And I felt that was just an incredible gift. So I fell in love with that. I fell in love with the company and the products. Um, so I knew at a very early age I wanted to work here in some capacity, but I didn't know if I'd be any good at it or if I'd really like it, you know, once I started working here. Um, but uh, when I did, I found that it is it is my life's work and it's my passion. Thank you for sharing that. It was interesting because I was watching uh, on Netflix. They have this great uh, special called The Toys That Made Us. Um, yes. And it, it talks about the history of a lot of these iconic brands. And they go through everything from Transformers to uh, Legos, which was one of my favorites because I was a huge Legos fan growing up. It's interesting to hear a lot of the stories related to the history of these brands, especially the amount of pivots that they take, because um, we talk about innovation a lot and how important pivoting is. Um, but I'm curious, a couple of things. Were, were there any definitive moments within the company's history that 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 made everyone kind of take a step back and say, we got to change or we got to do something different? Yeah, for sure. When I uh, came into the business, so after after college and um, I doing a year of volunteer work where I taught sixth grade, I came into the business full time. So I was 23 years old. Um, I joined the sales team um, working for the sales leader. And uh, and I'll never forget, though, I, I described that magical moment when I was five years old. Well, when I started when I was 23 years old, it felt a little different. You know, when I walked into the building, you know, nothing had changed. Um, same drapes, same furniture. Nothing had changed since the Eisenhower administration. You know, so um, and uh, and shortly after I started, um, competitors came out with plastic wagons and it was this very classic kind of uh, disruption of this category that had remained the same for a really long time of selling these wagons. And these plastic wagons offered features that we couldn't offer in a steel and wood wagon, like cup holders and seats for the kids to sit in and these nice high curved backs to contain the kids in the wagon. And uh, uh, moms liked them because you could just leave them outside and hose them off. And and we missed that. We missed this change because we were not talking to consumers. We were really an inwardly focused manufacturer, which had worked great for, for 70 years, but times had changed. The external environment had changed and we missed it. So in my very first few months in the business, the whole company was thrown into complete crisis because this was really an existential threat. Once these plastic wagons came out, um, it took sales away from our core selling wagons. We didn't know anything about that process, how to manufacture them. We didn't know how to design them. So we had this really steep learning curve to try to figure it out. Um, and it caused us to question everything. Like, why do we exist? You know, we, if you had walked into the building at that moment, you know, in, in um, 1992 and asked somebody, what do you do here? They'd say, well, we're a manufacturer. Uh, we stamp stuff out of steel. You know, we make wagons. It might be the third or fourth question until you got the word radio flyer. It just wasn't a brand consumer driven company. Um, so we started, you know, we viewed ourselves as, you know, we exist to make wagons at that time. Uh, but by digging into what consumers really think about the brand and asking them to describe their experience of playing with it as a kid, we got all these incredible evocative emotions and images like, you know, I was playing outside, the wind was in my hair, the sun was in my face, I was with someone I loved, I was imagining that my wagon was a race car or a spaceship. And so we realized that, you know, our reason for being wasn't just to make wagons, it was to bring smiles and create warm memories that last a lifetime, which I 
kind of mentioned earlier about the smiles and memories. And once we changed our mindset about how we viewed ourselves, it unlocked all this other potential about other products we could come out with. Or, you know, we don't need to make just these steel and wood wagons. We can make wagons out of any material. Um, and that's when we really started the and it was a slow process of really kind of reinventing the company. It's interesting you say that because I, I remember hearing a, a, an interview, I believe with, with the CEO, the current CEO of Harley Davidson. It was talking about some of these additional, we know, you know some of these scooters and some of these other uh, transportation devices are coming out, especially in urban areas where people don't have elected to not have cars, but they will still want to get from point A to point B efficiently. And it was such a departure from thinking about, wow, here's this iconic motorcycle brand that has, you know, everything is around muscle and strength and <laughs> fortitude. And then you think about they're going to offer one of those little, you know, scooters, to, you know, to hip for hipsters to ride in the city. And it just feels so counterintuitive. But then you think about it. And the reason why I bring this up is because what you just said, I think, is important. And I think it's important for listeners to understand staying true to who you are at your core um, can allow you the flexibility and agility to go between products. And as long as you're still delivering on that core mission, you can deviate from it as long, you know, on, on, the, on the fringes, but as long as the core stays true, because it was the same thing with Harley Davidson. I think a lot of the core, core users were thinking, how how on earth could you ever change from that that deep kind of strength brand to something um, like a scooter? But the, the the CEO mentioned, listen, you know, it's all about you know getting from point A to point B and enjoying the ride while you do it. And it, it something what you just said just kind of struck that in me to share that because I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it is we have a lot of listeners that are in the position where the decision makers in the organization and they're faced with these decisions and it sounded like you had to stay true to the brand but you said hey even if we go to like a plastic material as long as we can create those enjoyable experiences for people we've met our mission. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's a great that's another great example of such a classic brand. You think about you know they have. They have the the sound of the motorcycles, you know, trademark or whatever, you know, the potato, potato, potato. So it's just the scooter's not going to make that noise, is it? So what does that mean? So those are really, really, really important questions. I mean, we had an interesting thing uh, when we started digging into what the brand means to people. We would ask people to describe those experiences when they were a kid. And a lot of times they would say, I had a radio flyer tricycle. And we'd say, oh, wow, really, tell us what, what what did it look like? And they'd say, well, it was red, it was shiny, it had chrome handlebars, it had a big bell, it had streamers on the handlebars, it was a radio flyer. And we thought, well, that's, that's amazing because we never made tricycles. <laughs> so, but they remembered this classic tricycle they had as a kid. They couldn't quite remember the brand. The brand probably wasn't around or maybe it wasn't a meaningful brand, but we were still around. Um, and so they were assigning our brand to this tricycle and so like we we did something really smart we made it we made the tricycle because people thought we already made it but by giving those design cues that they remembered um the shiny red and all those things when we came out with the tricycle people would point to it and say oh my gosh that's the tricycle i had as a kid um and it became one of our best sellers and by listening closely to what consumers were saying um, we were able to really understand, okay, we can go from never making tricycles to being the number one tricycle brand in the, in a number of years. So that was a big part of how we started to, to really build momentum and build our sales and build new product categories.
I have to imagine that with this iconic brand, there's so much cachet behind it. It probably, there might be some internal struggle with certain decisions related to innovation. How far do you feel like you have the ability to move in terms of moving the needle forward while staying true to the iconic brand? Yeah, that's a key question. It's it, There's an inherent tension between a, a, a classic kind of nostalgic heritage brand that we have and innovation. And I think it's always a, a tension that we're wrestling with. Um, and I think, you know, but we view that as there's limitations uh, sometimes are the things you need to actually breed more creativity and, and have more creativity. So um, those are the guardrails that we've got. Um, and I think like, for example, in wagons, I mentioned the plastic wagon, which we eventually launched and figured out and, and we did plastic wagons. But more recently, um, I think a good example of, of the, the classic part of the brand and the innovation is our stroller wagon. So we now have these wagons that it's a wagon you can pull, but it's also a stroller um, that uh, a, a consumer can push. And um, and so we've and the reason we did that is because we were getting that feedback from parents that we'd love to have that feature. So it's still a wagon, it's still red, but it has all of the uh, great features of a stroller. And I think those are some of the ways that that we try to do that. Fantastic. And by the way, I had one of those tricycles uh, in addition to the wagon. So the, the red tricycle, as you were even saying it, I was I, I remember brought back to my childhood remembering uh, riding that in the in the streets of Evanston. So. All right. That's well, I don't great. think I was in the streets that young, but I was uh, certainly on the <laughs> side. That's good. Good stuff. So you you have this this Emmy winning short that that was produced um, for Radio Flyer called the Taking Flight, and uh, you know media is so important when it comes to marketing the, these iconic brands and keeping them relevant, and making sure that they're top of mind for people. Can you talk a little bit about that project and what that meant for the company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we started working on that to celebrate our 100th anniversary in 2017. And really, the, the goal was, uh, we had two goals with that project. One was just to create this beautiful piece of storytelling about Radio Flyer and, and put it out into the world. And the second one was to kind of experiment with, you know, kids entertainment and what else could we do with kids and family entertainment. Um, so we started working with this really talented uh, director, Brandon Oldenburg, um, who was an Academy Award-winning uh, director. Um, he led the project uh, in collaboration with me and other people. And what we really wanted to do was key into the authentic experience families have had with Radio Flyer through the years. So uh, the st basic story is this little boy is getting dropped off by his dad at his grandpa's house. And the dad is very distracted. He's getting text messages. He's rushing around. Um, and uh, and he's all kind of this overscheduled dad. He drops off the kid and he's giving the grandpa all these directions, like put on the sunscreen, make sure he's got his water bottle, you know, very kind of overprotective helicopter parent. Um, and, uh, and the kid's kind of moping around because he's upset that he's not with his dad and he thinks he's gonna have this boring day with grandpa. Um, and then he discovers the radio, the old radio flyer wagon in the garage. The grandpa takes him on all these adventures to their imagination with the wagon. And there's a very heartwarming kind of uh, reunion of the grandpa, dad, and, and grandkid at the end. So, um, and it's this really beautiful kind of Pixar quality animation. 
And we were just thrilled that we won an Emmy with this um, uh, short film. It was just so exciting and, and, and really, really fun. And, you know, we put it out into the world and millions of people have seen it. Um, and now we are working on potentially a kids TV series or something like that, that just keys into the core element of Radio Flyer. And that is that Radio Flyer is anything you imagine it can be, and it can take you anywhere you want to go. That's kind of the core idea uh, behind it. And um, yeah, that's it. I love it. What a great, what a great story. So on the subject of companies really struggle to define their brand identity uh, and, and really tell those stories effectively. Um, sometimes it's like catching lightning in a bottle and, and it, for some companies, it's still an elusive task. Can you offer any insight to the listeners that, that are looking to maybe have more of effective brand uh, storytelling uh, process? Yeah, I think it all starts with with the customer and really, really listening to the customer and what they're what they think of your brand because the customer owns your brand. You know, whatever the customer thinks in their head about your brand is what your brand is. Whatever you want it to be doesn't <laughs> doesn't really matter. You may think it's one thing, um, but I think that's you have the. It's so important to unlock uh, customers' points of view about. What, how they view your brand, and then really connecting to kind of the highest possible purpose of your brand, your product. I mean, every product exists to solve some problem. It, it's maybe a very small problem, or it's maybe a huge problem. And you know, in our case, it's solving the problem of of maybe in a wagon. It's you know, getting your kids from here to there, or having something for them to play with in the backyard. A tricycle is for solving the problem of a, a beginning rider, being able to ride around the neighborhood. Um, so I think then that, that's the solving the problem part, but then what's the emotional element of that solving that problem? You know, we, we like to say that one of the, I don't know if this is an emotion or how you would describe this, but you know, when you when a kid is riding one of our products or playing with our products and they have that gleeful look on their face and the sound that they're making is we <laughs> like, that is the you know, like that is what our brand means. It's all about that joyful just exclamation of, you know, delight and motion and imagination and adventure. Um, so I think trying to find what is that about your product or brand by listening to customers. Absolutely. I remember for me, it was when I would would run to the backyard with my cousins and it was almost like we were we were going to fight some battle and I would hop in the <laughs> wagon. The moment I flipped over the, the handle from the front facing part so that it faced me. So it was almost like a car and my cousins started pushing me. It was it was that unbelievable feeling. I'm pretty sure I said we multiple times too. So. <laughs> I can see it. I can see you saying we a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I think one of the things that that always strikes me uh, is interesting, especially for when you think about the the technology aspect of you know bridging the gap between, especially some of these digital technologies. Now you see kids today. You know, in some cases they they prefer to to stay in and and, and be in a video game or what have you. There's a, a service out there now that allows kids to watch other kids play video games, which is an interesting <laughs> kind of thing to do for, that's right, for, for an interesting hobby. But um, it seems like there's maybe some less activity taking place, physical activity outdoors. Uh, and maybe I could be wrong by that, but 
Um, how, how do you bridge the gap between this digital world and some of the physical products and, and toys and, 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 you know, transportation that, that you're typically used to? Yeah, it's a real thing for sure. I mean, I think I think there is this, you know, magnetism of screens that's indisputable. And I see it with my own four kids. Um, so that's a real thing. At the same time, there's always, I think, going to be a place for going outside and playing. Um, and you're going to people are going to need a tricycle or a wagon or a scooter, you know, these basic items that that we provide. And, you know, we've really seen it over the past several months during the pandemic as people have been stuck at home and kids have been on screens, you know, more than ever because there's just the options are so limited. Uh, we've seen a big increase in the sales of our products because parents are really they're desperate for things to get their kids active and engaged. And and so um, while the pandemic has been so horrible, um, one of the things that our team has felt is that we've been a bright spot in people in these photos and stories where you know they're saying you know my kids have been bouncing off the walls and i'm you know just going for a walk around the neighborhood with your scooter and your tricycle and my little one in the wagon is just like it's like a mini vacation it's like a respite from you know the cabin fever we've been going through so um so i i think i think they can coexist you know i don't think these have to be mutually exclusive there's a lot of time in the day <laughs> especially when you have little kids you know the 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 days are long and the years are short, go fast the saying um so i think you know we're part of kind of a you know pa parents um arsenal of, of tools to use to keep their kids engaged and active and um so i i think that's kind of how we think about it fantastic and, and I, i'm I think I'm looking at what is your Tesla product, <laughs> and is that it? I can only see half of it. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah, this fantastic! Is, this, is, this this is our newest one. This is the Tesla. This is the Tesla Model Y. So for the for the yeah. listeners that can't see the screen, because I know there's only audio, um, uh, what Robert just sh showed was one of the uh, the pro the new products. This new part of the new product line. Um, that uh, it looks very exciting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, a number of years. This is a this te little Tesla that I just showed is the based on the Model Y, and it's it's a, what we call a foot to floor. So it's just a kid sits on there and pushes along with their feet. Um, and it's our second product that we've launched with Tesla. The first one was the Model S for kids, and that's a a full full on electric car for kids um, that is uh, battery powered with a lithium ion battery. Um, it looks exactly like a Model S, but miniaturized. And, um, and when we approached Tesla on that a number of years ago, um, we were super excited about it because it all started with a, a consumer insight that our product development team had. Uh, and it was that people love those cars for kids, those big, the, you know, the Barbie Jeep or, or those products. And they're very popular. But the pain point that we discovered was that the battery was a problem for people because they were always dead. And because they were lead-acid batteries, they didn't hold the charge very well, and they took a long time to charge. So our team said, hey, we can solve that problem with lithium-ion batteries, but they're a lot more expensive. And this was about um, six or seven years ago. So Tesla was still kind of just getting started. And our head of product development said, well, if we're going to do lithium-ion, we should partner with Tesla because that would be really, really cool. And so we approached them, and after a long time of pitching, selling them on the concept, they said go. And the reason they said go is because 
what we offered them was we said, we're going to give a Tesla experience, not just a little Tesla car for kids, but we're going to miniaturize the entire Tesla experience for kids. So just like you buy a Tesla online and you choose the color of your car, that's what the people are going to do with this, which nobody had ever done in the category before. Um, we're going to do lithium ion batteries just like you have. We're going to have all the features like, you know, the front trunk uh, of a Tesla. And so we really nailed all the details. They fell in love with it. And uh, we launched it um, about four years ago, and it's it's been a really, really big success. You know, what's interesting about that story is the, the kids that are going to, you know, by the time they hit 30, 40, 50, uh, reminisce the same way we are about the wagons, saying they uh, were riding uh, the, the, the Tesla Y series when they were a kid, and maybe <laughs> they, they have it as an adult. So that's very cool. Yeah, and my my understanding is it's got uh, steering. You can steer it yourself. Um, uh -huh. There's a it can honk. Is that right? Yeah, the little one. You mean? Yep, the little yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Good stuff. Uh, what a cool product. So I want to shift gears a little bit to well, well first and foremost, I, I, the reason why I think that story is important is because partnerships are such an important aspect of. Uh, innovation in, in thinking outside of the box. I know a lot of the listeners um, are interested in figuring out, uh, especially during downtimes in the economy. Uh, you know, we, we're in the middle of the pandemic, different ways people, uh, companies are looking for alternative revenue streams and different ways they creative approaches to partnerships. Uh, but this sounds like it, it's been a fruitful one for you all and it allowed you to kind of open up a different segment, which is great. Um, if we talk about the the aspect of uh, kind of long term thinking um, around where uh, your industry is going, can what you see uh, in the next uh, you know five to ten years. How do you feel the company is going to look, operate, and uh, feel in the next um, half a decade to a decade? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to keep staying true to kind of our core mission, which is to bring smiles and create warm memories. And, and it's by coming out with great products that make sense with our brand, that are solving problems, that delight families. So we're going to keep doing that. And, you know, the thing I've learned through the years is we've, we've come out with a lot of products that haven't succeeded. I'm telling you about all this. <laughs> we're talking about all the successes, you know, here. But that to get to those successes, we had to, you know, try a lot of things. And so we, we use the metaphor of plant a lot of seeds to see what will grow. So we experiment a lot. We come out with a lot of products. We prototype a lot. We have a, an amazing prototype shop here in our facility where we can, we have 3D printers and CNC machines and welders and a wood shop. And we can, our team can make anything. It's like a playground for our designers and engineers. So we're just going to keep iterating, prototyping, observing consumers. You know, we have a play lab here on site where we watch. Uh, I mean, we haven't been doing it during the pandemic, but where we watch uh, kids and 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 parents interacting with the products. So those are the daily habits that yield the insights that then lead to the great selling products. Um, and I think we're just going to keep really working that. Fantastic. And I love uh, the prototyping aspect. I know at EX3 Labs, we have a saying internally that if a picture is worth a thousand words, a prototype's worth a thousand meetings. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I love that. going through that process is, uh, speeds things up quite a bit. That's great. That's great. So in, in addition to kind of your outlook, how do you think, I guess, your industry as a whole will operate? And any kind of trend that you think are going to come to fruition in, in a more 
uh, in a larger way? Yeah, yeah, you know, we're kind of a, we're in a little bit of a unique spot because I, you know, you would say we're part of the toy industry, but we're not exactly like a traditional toy, you know, like a doll or a construction set because we kind of bridge into this transportation tool area like a wagon. Yes, it's a toy that kids play with, but it's also very much a parent use case where parents are pulling the kids and interacting them or interacting with them or our stroller tricycles, which is a tricycle that really starts as a stroller and then becomes a tricycle as parts are removed. So we kind of bridge toys, juvenile products, sporting goods. Um, so I think um, I'm not sure I really can speak like for, you know, the toy industry. And, and I think we're just going to, you know, keep staying close to consumers and trying to get those insights to, to solve their problems. I think there's always going to be a place for kids toy products i think the world of physical and digital will continue to kind of merge uh, but other than that i don't know if i have much of a crystal ball <laughs> no worries well i am curious if you wouldn't mind sharing i know we have just a few minutes left here but um you mentioned a couple of the failures do you have any one that comes top of mind that you would be willing to share or are they top secret? Oh, yeah. No, no, they're not top secret. I have a whole class. We have our learning and development <laughs> program here. It's called Wagon U, and I have a whole class where I, I talk about um, them. I'll talk about a more recent one. Um, this was uh, a couple of, this was about three years ago. Um, so we did the Tesla that I talked about. So that was our really first big battery-operated car for kids. It was a big success, and we were thinking, okay, how else can we – how else can we follow this up and how can we do something different and better that's been done? And so our team was looking at different options and they realized, you know, there's never been like a really great realistic Star Wars vehicle done as a battery op for kids. And wouldn't it be so cool if a kid could get in, you know, the Millennium Falcon or, or the, you know, Luke's land speeder to drive it around. So got really excited about this idea. We went to Lucasfilm, we pitched it. They said, go. We came out with Luke's uh, land speeder, Luke Skywalker's land speeder. Um, we got we launched it at Comic-Con in San Diego. It was like the hottest product at Comic-Con. Everybody was going crazy about it. They were tweeting about it and posting about it. And we launched it, and it didn't sell at all. It was a complete oh, bomb. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. So what, yeah. what went wrong? We had all these signs, you know, that, and, and then, you know, after the fact, it's always a little bit more clear. You know, people said, well... For a little kid, you know, they're not as into Star Wars. Um, the land speeder is a little bit of a strange looking item. If you just look, if you don't, if you're not really into Star Wars, it's not just like a car that looks cool, even if you don't know what the car is. You know, right. so there are all these things that we kind of learned after the fact. But the, the, I think the fact is we just we don't know what's going to sell. You just don't know. Maybe it was too expensive. Um, and so that's why we just have to try a lot of stuff. So maybe maybe if you add Baby Yoda to the back of it, just so it, maybe Baby Yoda's sitting in the back. It was, uh, that would have probably been good if we we didn't have Baby Yoda at the time. I know anything Baby Yoda is selling right now. The child, absolutely, good stuff. <laughs> well, I've got one last question. It's the most important question of the interview. Uh, what what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Yeah, you know, that's a hard one. I think I would say the Nike Run Club is the the one i i really use and you know after after i do a run with nike run club they always have their different running coaches come on and say something like inspiring like you know you did it or you started you did more this morning than anyone else you know it makes you feel like really like all right i'm off to a good start this day and it's so funny because i love those little recordings but um i'd say that one 
Fantastic. And that's the first time I've heard uh, someone share, with, especially with the uh, the fitness app one from Nike. So I'll have to check that out. It's a great plug. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, we really appreciate your time today. Th- this was one of my favorite episodes because it really brought me back to my, my childhood. So I, I want to thank you for uh, bringing those great memories up. Um, but I also want to uh, thank you for your time today and the wisdom that you share. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Adam. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, if if uh, the followers or listeners want to um, stay in touch um, with you or the, the company, uh, is there a particular URL or, or social media handle you'd like to share? Yeah, LinkedIn was really the best way to, to see me. And I've been uh, posting kind of some of my learnings and lessons of, of my years here at Radio Flyer. So LinkedIn is, is the place to find me. Sounds like you just got your first LinkedIn request from the uh, interview with the ding Sorry there. About that. <laughs> no worries. But this, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time. Mm-hmm.